right. Um, yeah, a few just things I wanted to mention before we get started here. One, um, I have had for a very long time a few leftover East Plano Fellowship shirts from when we made those a year or more ago. Uh, so I think the only ones I have left are a couple of smalls and maybe one medium. So if you want in on that, just kind of pretend to go to the bathroom and go steal one off of that <laughs> back cabinet there. They're free. They're free. You can just have it. Um, so I do plan on us uh, ordering some new shirts pretty soon. So uh, if you weren't here there and you uh, or if you just love shirts and want another one, uh, you'll have a chance to do that before too long. Um, let's see, the other thing is, just as a reminder, if you're a small group leader today after church, we have a little lunch plan for you guys. We'd love for you to stay um, and let us just thank you for the year that we've had and uh, feed you. And uh, yeah, so we'll do that immediately following service. I know normally we do those in the back building, but since we've been having those women's seminars, we're just going to let them have their space this Sunday, and we'll do that in here. So if at some point uh, we heard the rest of you out of here, uh, it's not because we don't love you. It's just because we're ready to eat. Um, that being said, I would like to just, yeah, thank you in front of the church. Those of you who have, yeah, that'd be great. Committing, committing to doing anything for 10 months uh, is no small ask, I know, and so, yeah, we just want to thank you. We know that the questions and thought that you put into that, leading us in thoughtful conversation and helping people in the church build connections, that's no small gift that you offer our church. And so, yeah, I just thank you for putting in that time week after week after week and serving our church in that way. Uh, We've been announcing that we do have a couple of small groups that will run through the summer. Um, and so if you haven't heard us talking about that, just either join our Facebook group or get on the website and sign up for the email list. And we'll make sure and get you information about that. I'll just say one more reminder. If you're planning on being a part of the Bible study that uh, is going to be hosted at Isaac and Natalie's house, uh, there is a book that's going to guide that. It's by N.T. Wright. It's part of his For Everyone series uh, on 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So if you're going to be a part of that, they're starting. I think it's about 10 days from now, so you'll want to go ahead and order that. Um, and then if you, have, if you haven't signed up for that, I would sign up because Isaac's sending out information. And so if you need to have a specific portion of that book, um, completed by the first lesson, you know, you're going to get information uh, like that from his email. So anything I'm missing? Okay, cool. All right, so uh, we're going to stay in Genesis as we have been the last uh, few weeks, and I know that uh, whether it's right or not, it, I feel like the Genesis stuff leads me a little bit more down a teaching route than a preaching one, which I think uh, is challenging in the sense that it, uh, yeah, just constantly makes me realize that I can't spend time trying to explore or explain everything, and nor would I be able to, and and so I, I recognize that that will likely, if you're a thoughtful listener at all, leave you with some questions at times, and so that bothers me, but maybe that's okay. Uh, Rick Watts said at winter camp this year, uh, if people get everything in your lecture, you've failed. Not, so I'm leaning on that. 
Uh, hopefully any remaining lingering questions that you have will prompt you toward further seeking and learning on your own. Uh, I'm going to read from Genesis 12 today, so if you've got a Bible or a Bible app and want to join me there, you're welcome to do so. I'm going to read a little bit uh, of an extended passage today. So, uh, Genesis 12, starting in verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, I'm going to pronounce it Sarah, uh, his, yeah, I'm sure somebody else can correct me, but I'm saying Sarah, uh, <laughs> just so I don't trip over it the whole time. I will mispronounce other things. His nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, uh, with Bethel on the west and I on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then he set out and continued toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are, which is very sweet because she's at least 65 at this point. I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I'll be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. So Pharaoh summoned him and said, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here she is. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything that he had. So yeah, the story moves pretty fast. It's very concise. Uh, so I'll take just a second to try to expound on it a little bit and just paint a picture. So, so God comes to Abram and he tells him, go to the land that I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. Essentially, you'll be under my blessing. I'll make your name great, and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. And against all logic, Abram does it. He packs up his crew. He sets out on this journey, apparently just counting on God to kind of show him what to do and where to go as he goes. 
And he arrives at this place that God says, you know, one of these days I'm going to give this to your offspring. Uh, But in short order, uh, he's faced with a life-threatening situation. This this severe famine strikes the land. Apparently Egypt is where you went. Uh, If that were the case, I guess they, they depended much more on the annual flooding of the Nile to kind of provide their sustenance as opposed to rainfall, uh, which could be rare in other parts. So he heads down to Egypt, and unfortunately one life-threatening situation births another, and they're forced to come up with this little ruse to make sure that the Egyptians don't just see Abram as an obstacle that needs to be removed. And, you know, at this point, we don't know how much time is passing in Egypt. The, the story just doesn't tell us. Is this a few days? Is this a few months? Is this a few years? We really just don't know. We get these short, little, concise sentences. What we do know is Abram's wife is now a part of Pharaoh's harem. And Abram is in Egypt alone. And while it appears he's being well taken care of on her account, he's being given things, you know, Uh, I would imagine, given the circumstances, he would trade it all just to be back in Haran, in the place that he knows, with the people that he knows, and where his wife doesn't belong to a foreign king, right? As far as he is concerned, the promise of God is in shambles, or at least hanging on by a frayed thread. There's no land. And the land he was in was wrecked by famine. There's no great nation. There's not even a single child. And now his barren wife belongs to another man. And there's no blessing, right? Pharaoh gives him some gifts. But this situation as a whole does not appear in any sense that Abram is under the blessing of God. So... We can only conjecture as to what he's thinking, but I know what I would be thinking. I would be thinking, man, you made this sound a lot better than it is, God. (laughs) I thought following you was going to be a lot better. You haven't held up your end of the bargain, and so you're going to have to do something drastic because this thing is falling apart at its seams. And whether or not Abram asked that of God or not, that is exactly what God does. And Abram and Sarah walk out of Egypt better than they walked in. And that becomes this recurring theme in the scripture, right? That these different people and circumstances jeopardize the covenant, jeopardize the promises of God. And then again and again and again, God demonstrates his ability to overcome those obstacles and move the covenant forward. That regardless of what comes against him, he will make himself known. Nothing is going to stop that. And that is the purpose that supersedes any other benefits that come from the covenant. The covenant is first and foremost about God revealing himself to the world. And I want to read you a quote Uh, by John Walton, who I quoted last week. Did y'all get that this morning? I sent it to you last minute, so no worries if you didn't, but I think they got it. Yeah. So he says this, and when he talks about the author, he's talking about the author of Genesis, he says, we can see that the author's purpose is focused on God, not on using Abram for a role model. Calvary, where, you know, Jesus uh, died on the cross, Calvary solved the Eden problem, but the covenant resolved the Babel problem. So we had this this issue that 
you know, there was this breakdown of mankind's relationship with God in the garden because of their own, you know, grab for autonomy to make themselves equal with God because of Satan's uh, causing them to doubt God's motives, that there was a breakdown in our relationship with the Lord that had to be fixed. And that problem, he says, was fixed on Calvary. He says, but the covenant set out to resolve this Babel problem. He says it does so by revealing what God is truly like. In this way, the covenant fills the gap that stretches between Babel and Calvary. On the Babel side, the problem is that people had a corrupt concept of God. On the Calvary side, God has provided a way to redeem humanity and bring them back into relationship with himself. The covenant is God's revelatory program. People cannot enter into a relationship with a God they do not know. And we've talked about that the last several weeks, right? That the law itself was this great grace because it revealed to the people, this is who I am, this is what I care about, this is what lies at my heart. And so if you want to be in relationship with me, these are the boundaries that you've got to live within. This is, this is the guidance for how to relate to me uh, rightly and how to relate with one another rightly. We talked last week about this issue at Babel, that they were building this tower that you know, it was believed that the gods could come down and have their needs met by the people, the things that they offered. And God is saying, no, 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 no. There's a, a foundational misunderstanding. I don't need anything from you. In fact, I will give all that you need. And he's saying this, this God entering into the covenant with people was, uh, was one more step in saying, no, 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 this is what I'm like. Come and walk with me and let me show you who I am. Let me correct these foundational misconceptions that you have about who I am. If you're going to be in relationship with me, you have to know me. That's the problem that God solves. And that's the blessing that he pours out on the world through Abraham and his descendants. He says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Well, it's through the descendants of Abraham that the law was given. It's through the descendants of Abram that the prophets came. They wrote the scripture. Their history became a public record of God's attributes in action. And to climax it all, God's own son came through them and reveal, revealed the father, revealed the kingdom through his life, revealed God's plan for salvation of the world through his death. God uses the covenant as a tool to make himself known. And perhaps the most incredible thing about it is God's determination to see that through regardless of whether or not Israel cooperates or remains faithful, right? And there's a lot more scripture to traverse to, to watch that play out, um, but you will hear about that in the coming weeks, surely. So, as we've asked each week, what's the memory, right? What's the marker in history worth remembering? What do we learn here that we can use as an anchor for our souls, as a guidepost for how we think and live? First, as we, as we watch this uh, initial encounter with Abram, we're reminded, I think, that God is both initiator and sustainer. In all things, God is both the initiator and the sustainer. Colossians 1, 17, Paul says, He is before all things, 
and in him all things hold together. In Acts 17, Luke says, in him we live and move and have our being. Contrary to how it may feel, contrary to what we may want to believe about ourselves, the reality is this is God's show. This is the God show. Uh, Caitlin's sister and her husband just went to the Justin Bieber concert, so I'm going to use that as an example here. Uh, If you're not a believer, feel free to picture any other cultural icon that you will, Celine Dion, Adele, the Wiggles, whoever. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I want to picture, I want you to picture going to uh, a Beaver concert, right? You're in this massive outdoor venue. There's 80,000 other people there. You know, Justin's on stage singing the music that he's written, that he's recorded, that he's performed countless times. There's people all over. You know, they're wearing t-shirts with his face on them. They've got signs with his name on them. They've memorized the lyrics. They're crying, right? Uh, because they're just overwhelmed by the experience. You know, they're there. That's the scene. Now I want to picture yourself at that concert. And here's what you're doing. Justin's performing, and kind of near the back, off to the side, you have a little portable speaker and a microphone that you've set up. You found a little piece of concrete that's a couple of feet higher than everybody else is standing. And you're performing your own singing, right? And after a little while, you set up a little foldable table and you've got shirts and posters (laughs) with your face on them. And as people walk by, you know, you thank them for coming to the show. Ask them if they want a picture. You offer to sign uh, their shirts and their posters. At the end of the show, the crowd goes crazy, you know, cheering, and and you're jumping up and down, waving, (laughs) thanking them, and then you take a bow. And all night, right, like, everybody would just be looking at you like, "Are, are you for real? Like, I can't figure out if you're for real because it's so ridiculous, right? This is so ridiculous. Like, surely this is a prank. I think that's how ridiculous it is when we pretend that this is all about us. That this life is about us. That's how absurd it is when our minds and our hearts and our resources are consumed with ourselves. We look foolish. And on top of that, we waste our lives because we've lost sight of reality. The reality is, this is the God show. He is both the initiator and the sustainer of creation itself and of solving our problems. The problems of our own rebellion and our warped views of him, right? I used the toddler example uh, last time, and it just seems fitting (laughs) <laughs> as I try to paint this picture again and again, I feel like we're the like toddler playing in our Fisher-Price kitchen and we're pretending to eat this fake pizza and God's just like, hey, see, like, come here. I actually have real food for you. Put that down and come get the real thing. Like, It's cute that you're playing, but that's not real. right? It feels real to you. It's not real. Come. 
Makes me think of the words in Isaiah 55 where God's saying, why spend money on what's not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen, and eat what is good and you'll delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen, that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. He is the initiator and the sustainer. He has what we need. And the first thing we need is a reality check. What else? What else to remember? Abram's not the center of this account, but I do think we see another repeating scriptural theme in his life and example. So the second half of this, I would say, we should remember is that we get to choose whether or not to align ourselves with God. And there's a cost in doing so. In Luke 9, Jesus turns to his disciples and he tells them what it takes to be his follower. What, it, what does it take to be my disciple? Well, there's only one thing you need for the journey, and it's a cross. You better bring a cross because something has to die in order to pursue this new thing. And we watch Abram leave this life behind. He leaves his land behind. He leaves his people behind. He leaves his inheritance behind, right? He leaves his father's blessing. And he does so to take hold of a new land and a new family and a new inheritance that God promises him. And in a different way, and perhaps the same way in some ways, God will ask you to leave a life behind in order to be with him. We leave a life behind as we embrace the promises of God. And in turn, like Abram, we become dispensers of God's grace. I think for us, the question isn't if we're hanging on to remnants of that old way of life. It's how are we hanging on. It's what are we hanging on to. Sometimes those things jump up and surprise us. I had to text a couple of my buddies this last week and apologize for cursing when I dropped my pickles at lunch last Sunday. <laughs> like right after church, you know, not a good moment. And, you know, for these two guys, like, was that a big deal? Not at all. Uh, do they think any less of me? Maybe. I don't. Probably not. <laughs> you know, again, not a huge deal. But it was one of those moments that surprised me, and it was this... To me, it was like this tiny signal of another life that I want no part of. It was this life of carelessness and flippancy, a life of, of loose lips and compromise, a life where I tried to fit in or impress. I've lived parts of my life that way, right? And yeah, I can point to worse things. I can point to worse things in me and about me now than that moment. Um, but there wasn't anything godly about it. And yeah, while maybe it's a small thing, I also think, is there a bigger opportunity today to be salt and light in our culture than to be really careful how we speak? I'm not sure there is. We give up something. We give up something. We leave something behind. But again, God doesn't ask us to give up anything that he doesn't intend to replace. Place, family, blessing, which for him meant security. God filled all of those needs. 
And the thing that we find when we choose to trust, when we choose to step out in faith and follow God, is that the things that we cling to are just shadows of the real thing. They're caricatures, right? It's like the, the drawing someone makes of you at Six Flags. You know, it's a, they have the appearance of something that's real and good, but like the nose is enormous on mine, right? <laughs> like, you know. There's something warped and distorted that makes it less than real, less than satisfactory, less than life itself. And God invites me to leave behind that lie and take hold of what's real. And I can't hold them both at once. So yeah, I would ask you that question today. What is it that God is inviting you to loosen your grip on? So that you can take hold of what's real and good. What is it that you're clinging to that's preventing you and others through you from experiencing the fullness of God's goodness? Repentance can be painful, but it is an invitation into the good life. And so that's the encouragement I give you today, is to loosen your grip on your shallow grabs for autonomy and your right to do what you want. Loosen your grip on any remnants of the old life, whether that's old behaviors and habits and thought patterns you had, or things that you haven't done before but are a part of this life that's bonded to decay, right? There's life up ahead. And the only thing God asks you to bring is a cross. Because you're going to need it. Pray with me. God, I just, uh, I ask for your Holy Spirit's guidance uh, in each of us as we ponder uh, these words this morning, as we ponder Abram's decision to leave one thing behind and to accept what it is that you have for him. And I just feel that in my own heart again and again of just hanging on to old priorities, old ambitions, old ways of thinking, old ways of talking and living that just don't have any life in them. And I know that in that I not only rob myself of what's good, but I, I uh, yeah, I just disrupt my ability to be a dispenser of your grace and goodness to other people. And so I pray for each of us, yeah, just that you would shine a light on those things in our own hearts and minds and uh, point them out and, and just give us the faith and courage to offer them up to you and to, 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 to open our hands and, and set them down and walk away from them. Uh, I pray that we could uh, just fulfill your vision for your church in bearing those burdens with one another, that we would be able to to support and encourage each other uh, as we all try to take steps uh, towards you. And uh, yeah, I pray all that in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, we're going to take communion now. So Michelle uh, and her crew are going to come up and play some music while we do so. Uh, so we, the way we do this, 